0: Welcome so much to Growing a Greener Kenai on this fantastic August 5th, Saturday, on the Kenai Peninsula. I'll tell you, it is, uh, boy, we uh, we were kind of stretching it for there for a little while, weren't we folks, wondering if we were going to have summer at all, but we got some nice weather and there's some, some pretty funky weather apparently moving back in, but we need to just do what we can to take advantage of the current situation. And do the best we can with our gardens, and move on. I will tell you, in fact, we could actually use a little bit of rain. Uh, my exterior garden could, and uh, I get if it doesn't rain today, I'm gonna I'm gonna hit it up with the water, and uh, and we'll see uh, we'll see what happens. So, how's everybody's gardens doing? I mean, it's been it's been tough this year, hasn't it? Uh, we've got uh, a little bit overcast today, and there's more rain expected in the in the local area for like not a you know not like a 90% chance but like 40-50% chance for as far as I could tell for like the next 10 days at least so so anyway we're going to deal with that and uh, before we get going a little bit too is you know I would like to start off with a few announcements of what's going on on the peninsula and You know, one of the things that's going on that started yesterday and it's going today and tomorrow. And after you're done listening to Growing a Greener Kenai, you ought to head down to the Soldotna Sports Center and see the 4-H Expo that's going on right down there. It also goes tomorrow. And uh, the kids kids do a fantastic job with their animals. There will be the auction for their animals. And it's, uh, it's fun to go down. Uh, uh, my wife and I, we're going we're gonna to head over there tomorrow and see what they got going, see what the kids are doing. And don't forget, uh, still, you need to get your burn permits if you're, uh, if you're still burning brush. And the Slash Dump that's uh, just north of the Kenai uh, Sports Complex, uh, that's uh, still open from uh, Thursday to Sunday. And then the next big thing that happens on the peninsula coming up is the Kenai Peninsula Fair, August 11th through the 13th. And that looks like it'll be a pretty good time as it always is. Uh, it's uh, 11th of the 13th, starts at 1030 a.m. and goes till 7 each night. And it's, uh, it's almost like another 4-H exhibit. But they have got all sorts of uh, uh, exhibit categories. Uh, the kids will be out there. And it's not just for the kids, too. They got a bunch of divisions. You got, you know, 0 to 8, 9 to 12, 13 to 17, adult amateur, senior amateur. That's me, 60 plus years old. And then they also have some commercial and professional uh, categories for what they do, but uh, cattle, goats, swine, sheep. Poultry, uh, flowers, food preservation—you name it. Quilting, photography, woodworking—there's all sorts of stuff down there, and it's always fun to go down and see what the kids are doing down there. So anyway, we all know where that is in Nanilchik, Chick, ten thirty to seven, uh, the eleventh through the thirteenth, and that would be next weekend uh, that we do that. And uh, hopefully, we'll get uh, we'll get some pretty nice weather for that event. Also, it's uh, it's a great event to have down here on the peninsula too. And it uh, anything we can do to to have a little fun down here, it's great. And then don't forget about it's going on right now. Uh, after you're done listening to Growing a Greener Kenai, head down to the Soldatin Farmer's Market at the corner of Coral, Coral Avenue and the Kenai Spur Road. We know right where that is. Kind of across the street, uh, just kind of almost next door to, uh, to Beeman's and uh, across the street from the U-Haul place, uh, right in that area. So uh, we need to support our local gardeners the best we can. And then the big one that's coming up that's always a wonderful, wonderful show is the Harvest Moon Festival, September 16th. That'll run from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., and that's always on a Saturday, and it's always a great show. And unfortunately, I just hate this. Uh, we are not going to be here for that. We're going to be outside, and uh, and it's just one of the things. I, I typically do a presentation on growing potatoes in containers, and I'm really going to miss doing it this year, but but uh, that doesn't mean they're going to cancel the, the show, folks. Uh, but it's always fun to do, and it's always fun to help folks learn how to garden. And then I'd like to remind you that two weeks from today is our great show with Joe Lample of Growing a Greener World and the Joe Gardener website. Joe is such... knowledgeable gardener and uh, he's in you know he he actually is in the Atlanta Georgia area and while he is in a totally different zone totally different process for growing and gardening uh, the principles are still pretty much the same and Joe's got a a fantastic amount of information but if you want to if you want to check out his website Joe Gardner uh, website just look up Joe, i think it's joegardner.com and he's got free how-tos uh, he's got everything on there you can take his classes you can look into his podcast uh, just such a knowledgeable gardener uh, and and what really he's uh, the times i've talked to him he was on the show last year he's just such a nice guy too uh, and just wants to help folks with gardening and have them be the the best gardeners they can So anyway, in talking about that, uh, being the best gardeners we can, as I say, oh wait a minute! But I'm, I'm sorry. I'm about ready to. I'm about ready to mess something up here. That I wanted to make an announcement. Now, Joe, next week, if you have any questions for Joe Gardner, you need to email them to me because Joe will be on our line, and we won't have a call-in line to ask Joe questions. But if you have a question for Joe, uh, give us a call at grow. Or, uh, I'm sorry, an email at, at kdll.org. And here in the next couple of weeks, if you if you've got any questions for him, uh, zip them to our show email and I'll bring them up and and we can ask Joe these questions. So that's that's what I almost forgot to got to announce for you. One of the things on Joe's uh, on one of the things on on Joe's uh, website or one of his emails that he sends sends out is getting ready for the for a fall garden. Well, I kind of started laughing at that a little bit because. For us, our whole summer is almost a fall garden. Uh, now, the last couple of years we had hot, but this year it seems like everything was a fall garden. So so anyway, I just kind of had a little laugh of, over that one. And uh, we'll see what Joe says on that too. So anyway, we're talking about our gardens. We've had a little bit of nice weather. Uh, where folks ought to be starting to harvest a few things. Uh, we've harvested some... Uh, zucchini. Uh, I've got uh, gray zucchini that, oh, I'm betting they might be ready by the time I get home today uh, to harvest a couple, couple of nice zucchini. Uh, My crooknecks aren't doing much yet, which is kind of surprising, but uh, hopefully, hopefully they'll come on. And uh, we've harvested some green beans out of the, out of the greenhouse. And I told you before, my, my bush beans, my Kentucky Wonders, they only had about a, I think an 85 or eighty-five, 85 or 90% failure rate. Uh, literally only five to 10% of those seeds came up, which was really strange to me. And the ones uh, that other five or 10% that did come up, they're doing wonderful and they're producing. We, but we don't have a lot of, of green beans for, for freezing. We've just had enough for a meal and then uh, there's probably some ready today we might be able to have a meal for supper tonight of some green beans now my runner beans as i told you uh are doing fantastic uh they're starting to flower they have it they take a little bit longer they're they're starting to get ready they're running up the trellis i put in the greenhouse and hopefully they'll do there was a with them there was a a 99 uh, germination rate and they're doing they're doing wonderful uh the cucumbers I, i didn't i told you before i didn't plant very many cucumbers because we had a bunch of pickles already uh, I'll do those next year again. I mean, I just didn't need to make pickles again this year. And uh, yeah, every jar of pickles we open, they're they're still good. Uh, so w- we've got a few plants going for just slicing cucumbers, and uh, they're, uh, they're 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 ta- they're looking pretty good. And I might even have one for harvest ready uh, when I get home today. Uh, my corn in the greenhouse is doing wonderful. It is about six feet tall. And I've got, I, I think I counted the other day, I've got like 22 ears of corn that are forming. And in looking at them, uh, it looks like they're maybe about six inches long now. So hopefully those will, will keep working. They tasseled out. I've been shaking the plants and letting the pollen fall down on the on the silks. And most of you folks know that uh, whenever the, the pollen on a, on a corn plant, on a corn Uh, ear of corn, if you don't have a corn forming within the cob, if you don't have that corn kernel forming, that means that individual silk did not get pollinated. So all those silks need to have a a piece of pollen touch them. Uh, And that's that's what happens typically when you get a, you know, even if you, it's rare to get at the grocery store if you're buying those, but when you're growing, you know how you open up uh, an ear of corn sometimes uh, pull the husk off, and half the ear doesn't have kernels on it. Well, that's because that particular individual silk didn't get pollinated because all those silk that are sticking out the end of a corn cob, each one of those individually goes to a location where there's a kernel. So that's why sometimes you get that the the silk didn't get they didn't get uh, pollinated. Uh, my onions uh, aren't doing too bad. they're they're growing. They've still got quite a ways to go, and uh, I've got some pretty good onions going. Uh, my leeks leeks are doing well. Uh, but I, and we actually harvested some broccoli the other day. We harvested three nice heads of broccoli, and same way today, there should be some more to to go. the uh, The uh, uh, garlic is doing wonderful. Uh, lettuce, chard, peas, Everything's a little bit behind. You know, uh, by now, peas are, should be podding up. Man, I had my peas in fairly early. And I don't know if it was too cold for them or what, uh, but they're just now starting to flower. I got a lot. Of, I'll, we'll have a lot of peas, and there's still plenty of time to get them, but it's been really strange. Uh, the, uh, the cabbage are working pretty well, but they're same way they're a little behind. The cauliflower... Uh, I've never seen this before. We just looked. It's like the cauliflower were in suspended animation and they finally started. We opened up one of the leaf bundles and some cauliflower heads are starting to grow now. So hopefully those will come on pretty strong here uh, toward the end of our season. And we'll get some cauliflower, good cauliflower heads. And one of the things, too, that, that folks, uh, some folks do or don't know about cauliflower is, you know, uh, the marketing of cauliflower for the grocery store, the farmer's markets, or anything, people want their cauliflower to be whiter than white. They like that white cauliflower. So what you do is you take the leaves of your cauliflower plant, those big leaves, and you pull them up around the head of the cauliflower where the cauliflower head itself will grow without exposure to the sun. Because what it'll do is that head will start forming a little bit of chlorophyll in there, and the head will start to turn a little bit green. It doesn't hurt it at all. It absolutely doesn't hurt at all. It's still just as good. You know what, unless you have different varieties of cauliflower, like there's a purple cauliflower, and the Romanesco, those are green anyway. You can get purple Romanesco, but the regular, like, snowball cauliflower, People want that at the store to be stark white. And I've watched some videos of the commercial guys, and when they're out there, uh, they've got teams of people out in the fields tying up the leaves. They usually use a big old uh, rubber band. And if they miss one and it's green, they're perfectly good to eat. They just throw it in the field and let it rot because the consumer wants that stark white, snowball white, cauliflower so if you get that don't think there's something wrong with your cauliflower it's just fine it's just got a little bit of chlorophyll uh, formed in it uh, if you're wanting a white cauliflower so anyway we don't really worry about that. And there, there is, I can't remember the name of it, but there is a variety that they've developed that kind of has self-closing leaves around the cauliflower head where they don't have to tie it up. And I think that's, you know, that's obviously just to reduce the manpower needed uh, for commercial guys to grow cauliflower. The broccoli aren't doing too bad, but as I said before, uh, it's just like everything has been in suspended animation. I think a lot of you folks have dealt with that too. Potatoes are doing fantastic. Those things love this kind of weather. A little bit cool, a little bit rainy, and I stuck my hand down a couple of my containers the other day, and I got some good potatoes forming in there. So they are absolutely doing wonderful, and I'm looking to get a great potato harvest this year, and I hope you do too. And as you all know, I grow all my potatoes in containers because it's so much easier on my back and so much easier to harvest those potatoes. And uh, same way, the neighbor kids will come down and they'll help me harvest potatoes again and we'll have a we'll have a good time. That's still a little ways away, though. So we're harvesting right now. Uh, So what I wanted to what I wanted to mention to you is, you know, there there actually are a few guidelines for harvesting vegetables. And, you know, most gardeners, I mean, we, we all kind of pay attention. uh, But one of the things you want to do is to harvest your veggies. You actually want to harvest at peak flavor and nutrition. You know, you want to, you know, like, like uh, the beans and peas, squash, turnips are at their peak taste and nutrition when they're tender and a little bit immature, you know, other veggies like maybe tomatoes, melons, winter squash, they need to be allowed to more completely ripen so their flavors can get fully developed. And you know, uh, you have to watch pretty close too and it'll happen with with uh, broccoli, it'll happen with cauliflower and there's other plants. If you don't watch them pretty close, those things will start to go to seed you know, you'll see that broccoli head start to spread a little bit, they start getting a little bit of yellow in there, and you see those tiny broccoli flowers starting to form. Well, it's time to harvest, and sometimes that can almost happen overnight. So if you see, we had one like that the other day that just saw a little hint of yellow, well, we harvested that thing, because the next day or two days after that, it definitely would have started, the head would have started to spread, and it wouldn't be as tightly packed. Now, is it still good if you let it go that far? Sure, it is. You can still pick it and uh, uh, cook it and uh, eat it. It's just that it's not a tightly compacted head with the fluoresce on it uh, like, like most Taiwan. But yeah, it's still perfectly good. So, uh, another thing you do is uh, on what you're growing is you want to harvest for size. You know, a lot of times size is a good, reliable indicator of maturity, but it takes a little practice to know when some vegetables are just right for picking. And that just comes with experience. Uh, there are some ver- variants in vegetable varieties. You know, for instance, like I said, my bush beans, that didn't germinate well, but they're producing beans. Great. Well, they're, we're picking them now. But my vining beans, my runner beans, they're not, they're not doing yet. Even though they're still a bean plant, they're different. So you have to look at maturity. You have to look at the maturity of your cucumbers. And it depends on what you're doing with a cucumber. Are you doing for slicing cucumbers? Are you growing cucumbers for making pickles? You know, what what are you doing? And uh, so you have to decide because a regular slicing cucumber, over the years, uh, if you're not growing a variety that is, quote, they say is a pickling cucumber, you you can use regular cucumbers to pickle with. You just pick them when they're smaller. And whenever I used to uh, make a lot of sweet pickles, I had a whole bunch of cucumber plants. And every morning before I went to work and then every evening when I got home from work, I would go out and I would check these and I'd get my pickles when they were two to three inches long, little bitty pickles, and I'd save them. I had a root cellar, and I'd put them down the root cellar, keep them cool, and I I didn't use them. I saved up enough, picked enough where I had enough to make eight pints of sweet pickles. And, boy, I had a fantastic recipe from the University of Missouri Extension Center. I wish I could find that. I've looked on their website Uh, and I can't find, but it was, oh my God, it made the best sweet pickles. But anyway, there's a bunch of recipes for that out there. So anyway, yeah, and then if you uh, wanted to wait and let those uh, little gherkins get a little bit bigger, then you use them to make a dill pickle, or if you even want to let them get a little bit bigger, you wait until they become a slicing cucumber. So yeah, that's a variance in how you harvest a cucumber, depending on what you want to do to it. And another thing that we all need to remember that will make plants produce more is to harvest often. Uh, that's one of the biggest mistakes gardeners can make is not harvesting their vegetables on a regular schedule when they're ready to go. You know, unpicked beans will go from tender to tough in just no time at all. Uh, a zucchini that was two inches long a couple of days ago uh, can be an overripe two foot long zucchini in a couple of days it's amazing how fast they can grow so you got to remember that all the plants that were growing their goal is to reproduce so what they want to do is they want to they want to grow their fruit they want their seeds to get mature so you've got to intercept them Uh, and if the vegetables are allowed to grow to their full maturity and aren't harvested the, the plant can stop producing. So by cutting some of your plants, like I said, your zucchini, uh, some of these plants, you cut them and they will, in fact, produce more. It's like we talked the other day about uh, trimming off your, your, uh, your flower baskets. You know, when we're talking about petunias. Uh, boy, I've told you I gave by a flat top, man. They were two to three inch long stalks. Just cut them off like they're going to the barber and getting a flat top, and they grew back even more luscious. Well, it's the same way with some some crops uh, will do that too. But the point is, is the plant needs to know that hey, I lost this piece of fruit that I'm going to try and make seeds off to reproduce. Maybe I better start another one. So anyway, that's uh, that's one of the things you need. That's one of the things you need to do is to harvest fairly often. And then you you actually need to be sure you you harvest under the right conditions, you know. Uh, the The quality of a vegetable is at its highest at the time of harvest, and when it and it'll start to decrease rapidly. Uh, you know, like the best time of day for most vegetables is in the early morning after the dew dries, and I'm sure. Uh, Not so much up here. Uh, Maybe some of you guys have been successful with growing green beans outdoors, uh, but I've done all mine in a greenhouse. Well, you know, in the mornings where there's dew, this was back in the Midwest especially, in other parts of the lower 48, you got your beans out there and there's dew on them. Well, you don't want to go out and pick them right then because that dew that's on them, you know, it might be in little droplets, that'll cause, uh, you know, looks like rust spots. And you'll have spotted beans. They're perfectly good to eat, but by letting uh, Mother Nature dry that dew off your beans, you got nice, clean, green beans, beautiful green, green beans, and, and uh, there's other things that's usually, usually the best time to harvest. Is in the morning, uh, and this is also when the plants seem to be at their sweetest and their juiciest. You want to avoid picking them in the heat of the day, especially some of the leafy vegetables, uh, and because they, they can wilt pretty quick if they're doing what they can to save as much water they can from a from a hot day. Now, for us this year, we haven't had too much trouble with that. We've we've had. Uh, We've had a cool summer, we've definitely had a cool summer, and uh, good or bad, I don't know, but that's what we've had to put up with. And then one other thing to do when you're harvesting your your crops is to use the right tools. You know, there's some crops, let's see, uh, let me think here, like lettuce, kale, and peas, you know, they can be pinched or just kind of uh, snapped off with your fingers. But veggies that don't really separate well from the plant should really be cut off. Uh, a good pair of scissors uh, or, or some kind of shears uh, for some vegetables, a uh, sharp knife or you know, some of the hand pruners you use, uh, you know, for plants that have kind of more of a tough stem like uh, eggplant or cucumbers, uh, and then and then you also you want to you want to be real careful when you're harvesting your potatoes. That's another good reason why I don't like uh, growing potatoes underground is I've done it before and when you're digging them even with a with a garden fork or a shovel or whatever, it's hard to keep from hitting some of those potatoes. Uh, you know, you cuz you, you got to dig so far away from them and still you'll still hit some of those potatoes while you're trying to harvest them. And then one of the biggest things to do is handle them with care. You know, uh, keep them, you know, when you're growing something that's, that grows up in a vine, it's got heavy fruit, you need to support them potentially with a, with a trellis. Uh, you know, don't, don't let the weight of those heavier vegetables, uh, weigh down the plant cause they could potentially bend or break the stem. You know, and you don't want to tug and rip them, uh, you know, like um, if you're growing melons or something, if you're not growing them on the ground, they need to be, in fact, those melons, uh, if they're getting up high, they need to be supported with some kind of sling so that all that weight isn't going on the vine uh, that'll potentially damage the plant. And it also uh, makes a spot for, uh, for uh, pests and to be, break. it breaks, a, a pest or a disease can get in there. So, and you also uh, shouldn't work among your vegetables uh, when it's really wet. Uh, just besides you getting soaked, it, uh, you can inadvertently, you might spread uh, fungal. If you've got something that's having trouble, you don't want to get those spore on you when it's wet and then uh, go into another part of your garden and do that. And then we all pretty much know this with our leafy vegetables. Uh, lettuce and uh, other leafy vegetable, kale they sprout from the center of the plant so unless you're going to harvest the entire plant pick those larger outer leaves first and leave the tiny new growth in the center uh, to continue to develop so so uh, you know and and a lot of this uh, a lot of this is old stuff for a a lot of you experienced gardeners. for some of you folks though that don't don't think about this stuff uh it's it's something to to consider when you're doing this you know, and, you know, it's like we've said before, uh, the experienced gardeners, uh, we we all agree that there's always more to learn. And it's uh, really especially true with growing vegetables. You know, and uh, the seed, seed packets uh, usually of what you're growing uh, and the plant tags generally pro- provide the best information on how to grow your vegetables. So if you don't have an experienced gardener to talk to, check that seed packet, you know, do a little, do a little internet research. Uh, uh, based on experience, you know, uh, a chilly spring can delay ripening and uh, warmer than normal weather can hasten ripening. You know, you've got differences in soil fertility. So there's a lot to think about when you're doing this, but most of it is a visual, a visual thing. You know, cause I know we've all, you know, you, we've all gone up and checked out whatever plant we're growing, let's say like a tomato, when that tomato is ready to be harvested, you barely touch it and it, it falls off the plant. It falls right off the plant. That's a, that's a, good, uh, that's a good indicator of that that tomato is ready to go. And then there's other things you can do. You know, like for instance, if you're growing a particular type of bean uh, that you want them to, if you want to have them for the winter for dry beans, you know, where you store them dry, uh typically you leave those on oh you let the plant die you let the plant dry out you let the pods dry everything dries and then you've got your your beans for soaking later through the winter make soup or whatever it is you like to you like to uh uh, make out of those but once the pods feel pretty dry and the beans inside are hard and shiny you do a test and then you should shell out those beans and store them for later so anyway, it's time, to, it's time to start watching what we harvest. And then uh, here coming up, uh, we'll talk about uh, uh, the things we do to protect our harvest after all that hard work. Now, I'll tell you the one thing that uh, I'm, I'm still a little optimistic on. I've mentioned it before. I got Brussels sprouts growing again, and I got little sprouts starting and I'm going to see what happens, you know, <laughs> because like I said, if they don't go this year, I've had it. Bobby Jackson won't even grow Brussels sprouts, and if Bobby can't do it, I'm not going to mess with it. I know some of you folks have had great luck with it. I have had terrible luck with it, but this year they don't seem to be too do, be doing too bad, and they're not really going to be ready to harvest till several frosts. You know, those, uh, you know, might not mess with harvests of those till well into October or November. So I'm just going to leave them alone, let them go. I I cut, uh, as an experiment, I left some of them with the leaves on them. The other ones, I cut some of the the leaves off, up the stalk where the sprouts grow, and then on a couple of them, I topped them because I've read all different things about that is to top them. So I'm letting letting them go, and I'm going to see how they do, how those things do, and uh, and then we'll we'll go from there, and I'll make a decision over. All right, to heck with these guys. So, well, folks, uh, I hope you enjoyed this first uh, half of the show. And one of the things I'm going to talk about when I come back from my my quick little break here is uh, we're going to talk about tomatoes a little bit. You know, this is this year has been a little bit tough. Uh, for tomatoes too, uh, not not for everybody, uh, but uh, we're we're going to talk a little bit about uh, tomatoes and uh, and some of the other things that need to grow in a warmer climate, like a high tunnel or a greenhouse or whatever. One of the things I wanted to see if you folks uh, have had any trouble with, and uh, one of the things I've been looking at is. People ask the question of why their tomatoes flower but they don't set fruit. And this has been a prime year for that reason. Now, I'm talking to fo- about folks who potentially, if you, if you have a sunny spot and you're growing them outdoors, if you've done okay, that's great. But if you don't have a heated greenhouse or if you don't have a high tunnel Uh, this can be kind of tough. My cucumbers, well, first off, I want to tell you, I've mentioned before, back in the Midwest, in central Missouri, the whole deal with with that little bit of competition and gardeners is uh, we grew our tomatoes, and our goal was to get a good, fresh slicing tomato by the 4th of July. And that's not in a greenhouse, that's starting them early in the house on the windowsill and then getting them in the garden, but then getting a good tomato by the 4th of July was always kind of the competition in central Missouri. So this year, I I know I've seen some of our folks that have put on the uh, grow, uh uh, Central Peninsula Garden Club website, they've got tomatoes already. Uh, some of them quite quite a while back, you know, a month, six weeks ago, two months ago. Well, they're growing in, most of those folks uh, I saw us growing in heated greenhouses. They're nice and sealed. They're staying warm. Uh, they're being ventilated well. Humidity is under control. Well, right now, uh, my tomatoes are just now starting to put on fruit. And, It's been kind of tough. It has really been tough, and there's uh, some of the reasons for that. You know, because it's so disappointing when you got a great, you got a healthy and a great tomato plant. uh, They drop their flowers and and they don't produce fruit. Or you know, there's there's several reasons behind this. And you know, tomatoes have what's 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 called a complete flower. They contain both the male and female parts within that same flower. And the tomato flower grow in a, in a kind of a downward hanging cluster, so that, like we've all seen tomatoes grow. And they're pollinated by movement, you know, like shake, uh, shaken by the wind, uh, And as such, you know, uh, tomato flowers don't need insects to be pollinated. But if the flower is not properly pollinated, a thing called blossom drop will occur the flower will die and drop off. So I've told you folks before, I, I use a, a, a an old $3 kids electric toothbrush, got it on a longer stick, and a neighbor helps me sometimes, the little boy, and I touch those flowers. And when they're really in good shape, you'll see that little squirt, that little poof of yellow pollen pop out the end of that flower. But... The blossom drop, it can be caused by several things like uh, unfavorable weather conditions, low humidity, water stress. And one of the biggest things that some of us make mistakes on when we're growing is too much nitrogen, too much nitrogen fertilizer. Uh, you get great greenery, but you don't get anything else happen much. And that's typically uh, too much, too much nitrogen. And for us this year, and this is my assessment on this, uh, is that everything I've read, you know, most, most people say the best temperature for growing tomatoes is in between 70, 75 to 85 degrees. So higher daytime temperatures. You know, this is what's weird about a tomato. A tomato can actually be too hot. Now, when I say that, Back in the Midwest, we grew tomatoes. It gets to be 100 degrees back there. And if any of you folks have driven around the Midwest in the summertime, you saw somebody's garden, you see stakes out there, and then all of a sudden you'll be seeing this garden, and there are sheets over it. Everybody takes their old sheets, and they cover their tomato plants, not touching the plant, but over the top with some of the stakes or, tr- or something. And it keeps the sheet up, but it keeps the sun from beating down on them. That's pretty common back there because it can get too hot. The difference with back there, though, is that low nighttime temperatures below 55 degrees can also prevent pollination and cause blossom drop in tomatoes and keep them from setting fruit. Well, what have we had this year, folks, at night? It was 48 the other morning at our house. And it was really nice to see this run of sun that we had. And like I said, my tomatoes are just now starting to come on. Uh, Those little beans. And I've been out there shaking them, a fan on them. I've been hitting them with an electric toothbrush. But that's another one that can prevent your tomatoes from setting fruit is too hot in the day, too cold at night. And, boy, we we haven't had the too hot in the day. But in my greenhouse, I've actually got my exhaust fan Set to uh, start exhausting at about 85 degrees, 86 degrees, thereabout. So uh, I've got the remote thermometer and I can look and it's uh, this year. I don't think I've never I haven't seen it get over 90 in there. Uh, I think 87 or 88 has been the hottest in my greenhouse. So that's that's not bad. That's that's okay. But yeah, that low nighttime temperature, I really think it's been affecting my tomatoes on the ability to set fruit. So like I said, they're just now starting to set fruit. So hopefully uh, that little bit of warm sun we had, maybe warming up the, uh, my water barrels for storage to live a little bit more heat uh, be uh, radiated out. But after some of the weather extremes pass, you know, and the weather becomes more moderate, you know, fruit set will be a lot easier. But if it's erratic with extremes of hot and cold, Uh, one of the best things you can do is to plant cherry tomatoes because cherry tomatoes seem to set fruit over a wider range of temperatures uh, compared to some of the larger fruits. And I told you before, last year I grew uh, uh, red ox heart tomatoes, indeterminate tomato, and they grew great. They grew up, I had nice big tomatoes, but they tasted terrible. Uh, They were absolutely bland as bland can be. Uh, they were ripe on the vine, uh, so I didn't grow them this year. Now, I don't know if it's something I did. I don't know if it's something in the fertilizer, but all I know is they weren't that good. So anyway, though, when we, when we talk about a, uh, a tomato plant, like I said, uh, down at the base of the flower is the tomato, is the ovary. Uh, the, but the ovary, the style, the stigma, the stamens, the stamen, uh, it's, it's all in the same flower. You know the the stamen is the male part, the stigma, style, and ovary is the female part. They self pollinate, and and that's what makes it nice not to have to worry about insects on that. But one of the other things is it's something we maybe have had trouble this year too, uh, uh, which shouldn't shouldn't have been a big deal, but uh, low humidity levels. Uh, can, well, just just wide range of humidity. Uh, Supposedly, the pros say the best uh, humidity range is 40 to 70%. So if it's too low or too high, the pollen can either be too dry or too sticky where it won't uh, leave the plant. Uh, Your tomatoes can have water stress if you're not keeping a good steady amount of water in there or uh, too much wind or fans on them. It can water stress them and dry them out uh, that can lead to bottom drop, uh, but the tomatoes uh, expend a lot of energy and nutrients uh, to support their flowers and develop fruits it's very it's a really demanding thing on the plant. so when they get a little adverse conditions that, uh, that'll stress them, they'll drop their flowers to spare some of their remaining resources for because they want to survive so. Uh, that's, uh, that's one of the things that we have trouble with them too, uh, is just their the plant wants to live and they're going to do what they can to live. So things are potentially, things are potentially going to, to change and the, the plant's going to do what it can to survive. And then here is one of the biggest ones, as I mentioned before, too much nitrogen fertilizer. And we all know what nitrogen does. It makes, it's the leafy green part of vegetable growth. And, uh, and it decreases the formation of flowers. It, it, uh, it just it just stimulates excessive growth of leaves and stems, at the expense of flowers and fruit, uh, causing flower drops and reducing uh, production yields. So, and over-fertilizing, uh, it can cause uh, also potassium or magnesium deficiencies in your plant. So a good, slow-release organic fertilizer, or whatever uh, you like to use, just don't use it high in nitrogen and uh, follow the directions on, on that. You know, it's, uh, it's one of the things you need to do for successful tomatoes. And one of the things I've read before, too, and, and, and we've all done this at the end of the year. Uh, whenever it's starting to get really cold, uh, the plants are starting to look a little peaked. We pick our green tomatoes or the ones that are barely turning, and we put them in the house, you know, put them up on the uh, windowsill in the kitchen or put them in a box, uh, put a layer of newspaper down. Uh, and then, I, you know, I ruffle up the newspaper, put a layer in, put another layer of newspaper, then a layer of tomatoes, another layer of, of uh, tomatoes, another layer of newspaper. And we did that once when we were leaving Alaska some years back uh, in a motorhome. We harvested all our tomatoes, and we just put them in a box in the motorhome. And, oh, my gosh, for weeks and weeks, we had fresh tomatoes. We check the box every day. You open it up, and there's new red tomatoes in there. So so uh, that's another thing to do with your tomatoes is different. Like I said, a tomato, whenever it's really ready to just fall off the plant, that's ready. That's right. But you really, if you're not going to freeze it or can it, it's time to eat that tomato. So some people advocate picking your tomatoes actually a little early when they're just starting to change color to that red color or yellow or pink, whatever whatever type of uh, of tomato you're getting, because then that lets because the, they're going to ripen, and then that lets the plant put more of its energy into growing the tomatoes that are left bigger and better, or even producing more flowers to go, to grow. So, but uh, tomato, some tomato plants of fruit really heavy can potentially decrease production of additional flowers. So, you, so like I said, it's kind of uh, one of those experience things. Uh, back, in, back in Missouri and what I, I always have uh, done my tomatoes, when they're pretty much ripe because we can so many of them and what we do is we'll take those tomatoes and just throw them in a zipper bag throw them in the freezer and freeze them and then when we get enough uh then we then we will can those but each plant each tomato plant it's got a finite amount of nutrients uh that it can direct uh, to the to the fruit so after your tomato plant set a large quality of fruit on its older and lower branches, it gets competition competition uh, with the rest of the plant to get those nutrients. So so anyway, a lot of that is a lot of that though is experience and everybody's got a different way of doing it. And I as I've said before, one of the best things to do is do what works for you and build on that. If it worked one year, do it again the next year. And if it keeps working like that, you'll get even better and better at growing uh, tomatoes, squash, whatever, whatever you're growing, whatever works for you. And then whatever doesn't work, think about trying something the next year. Uh, now, there was a, is one little anomaly in there is you do something that works year after year after year, and then all of a sudden you do the exact same thing and it doesn't work. Well, what can cause that? Who knows? This summer is a prime example of that with our pretty cool weather. Uh, but you can look at that and think, well, did I rotate my crops to a different place? Is my do my soil need uh, more amending? Do I need is it time for another soil sample? There's a numerous things. So if something's successful for many years, and, and it doesn't go right one year, uh, to me it's not a, a time for panic mode. Uh, you can go back and do the same thing the next year, and 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 most likely it'll be okay. But if then if it happens again, then you need to start looking at a change and see what happened. So another thing I want to talk about tomatoes is uh, we work too hard. That that you know you folks have probably seen that one little funny uh, thing of uh, what what makes you feel good. Growing a tomato plant that survives and makes a tomato, uh, that's a feeling of power. It's always great to get those tomatoes going, you know. But one of the things people notice and they and they don't think about this when they're growing their tomatoes is. You know when uh, your tomato leaves will start to turn brown. People think that oh my God, my tomato's dying. It's got uh, it's got something wrong. It's got blight. It's got whatever. You know. Well, one of the things that that uh, you know some of the some of the big greenhouses do they grow a lot of indeterminate p- tomatoes. And we've talked about indeterminate and determinate tomatoes before. The indeterminates continue to grow they will grow up in a long vine and if you've ever watched the the commercial if you've ever been to to bell's nursery in anchorage and seen their hydroponics set up with their tomatoes and some commercial guys you like i said you can find this on the internet watch a youtube video of it and everything they will their indeterminate tomatoes they grow up 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 and up and they've got them on a, a string a line a cable of some sort and as that plant starts to grow up, they trim all the bottom leaves off, lower that plant down even farther down, and they will like coil coil the vine that's no longer producing or anything. And they just keep the plant grows higher, they trim off the fruit and the the leaves, and they just drop that plant and you'll see oh man, some of these I know they're they're twenty feet, they're twenty feet long or longer. Of that indeterminate tomato, so under that circumstance, uh, those plants that are starting to get leaves turning brown at the bottom, they're they're ready to take off because there's going to be new growth up above that area where you're going to start getting some new fruit. Now, this is where folks really make a, a mistake sometimes: is they're growing determinate tomatoes, which grow in a bush, and most are almost unless it's kind of a hybrid. They die off because they grow, they produce most of their fruit in a short period, and then they die. So people think their tomatoes have something wrong with them when it's just the natural life process of that tomato, you know. So you sit there and think, why would my tomato plant suddenly die in the middle of the summer? Well, it might be a determinate tomato it's designed to do that the you know those those guys out in the field uh, the commercial guys they're growing uh, uh, determinants like for uh, for sauce and what have you like that they're growing determinants because they come they come mature at pretty much the same time they are not going now you know if you've got some local farmers and you got some some other places that do stuff by hand they might go out and they might pick what's ripe and then let them keep growing but determinate tomato, tomatoes they're made to grow and produce in a short period and then and then they die they've got a set lifespan and a best good example of this is um, is the Roma tomato we all like uh, remo- uh, Romas for uh, they're really popular but Romas are determinants and after their main crop is rife and they die off no matter what you do they're gonna die so unfortunately, aroma is mistaken by gardeners as having a late season issue when in real in reality it just ran its course and it's and it's ready to die but there's other reasons why potentially some of your lower leaves are turning brown now i do my best i'm, I'm doing an experiment this year with my my tomatoes i grew all determinants this year no indeterminates and you know when the when the commercial guys are growing determinants they put them out in the field and they just let them go they don't mess with them at all. Nobody's going through and cleaning off the bottom leaves or anything. They just grow. Well, that's what I'm doing in my greenhouse this year. I've got all my determinants in there, and they are all just growing. But if you if you are worried about your plant's leaves turning brown, yellowing or browning leaves, it's usually a couple of things. One is lack of nutrients, you know, uh, Tomatoes are heavy feeders, and they need to be. They need to, they need to be fed at least every couple, every ten days to two weeks, because uh, they can use up, boy, they can use up those nutrients fast. And uh, once again, you want to be sure you're using a good tomato feed. Uh, I use a water soluble, but like, uh, and we've all talked about we've talked about NPK stuff, but a 12, 15, 30 is what you need to use. Stay away from that nitrogen. They need a little nitrogen, but, uh, you know, like a uh, 12, 15, 30 with a lot more potassium and a little more uh, 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 phosphorus uh, than than uh, nitrogen. So uh, that's one of the things. They're heavy feeders. Uh, every couple of weeks, I, I, I've gotten to where I water my stuff now. I put water in a five-gallon bucket, and I put my... I put my soluble fertilizer in there, mix it up, you know, and I do like if it's, a, if it's one scoop per gallon of water, I put my scoops in for a five-gallon bucket of water, mix it up, and then I just pour that gallon of water through my tomatoes and let that water flow through all the tomatoes instead of using a sprinkler or, you know, a hand wand or anything like that. And I do the same thing with my corn. I, I just run the bucket with some, with some higher nitrogen uh, fertilizer in them because corn needs more nitrogen. Uh, I just do that. They're in there and I just fill the bucket, put the water-soluble uh, fertilizer in and just pour the bucket through the stalks of the corn or the tomatoes and off it goes. It it rolls through. And I do that a couple times to make sure it's good and saturated. So, but uh, lack of water can be a reason too. The leaves are turning brown. Uh, you get the mid-sun or, uh from either too much or too little water uh it's it's a it's another thing uh i talked a little bit earlier about fruit overload uh that can be if you're growing indeterminates and still having trouble with your plant your plant's looking weak your plant might be suffering from fruit overload so you might try picking some of those or Uh, you know, when I did do indeterminates, I kept one single stem. I didn't let them branch out. You keep that one single stem uh, growing up and make sure there weren't too many other side shoots coming off from those suckers. Even though they'll put flowers on them, I looked at that as potentially a plant overload. And then there's always the possibility of a late season blight. Uh, You know it's a it's a big issue. Uh, I've never had blight on mine, uh, but it can happen any time during the growing season. But it's usually more prevalent toward the end of the growing season, and it's a spore disease that infects the soil and the plants. You know the and the spores can spread by the wind. uh, You know, and even though they're dying, the the browning foliage is kind of a a symptom of that. Uh, But the real telltale sign of tomato blight is greasy oily spots appearing on your tomatoes when you see that uh, don't just cut them off you need to get rid of the plant because it's really highly contagious and you know we we've all we've seen that stuff i've seen it before in the lower 48 is you know you get those you get those uh, tomato leaves and they are oh you know they start getting these brown spots on them and turn a little bit yellow but yeah, be real be real, real careful of that. And one of the other things I wanna I wanna be sure that you realize to do too is if you have trouble doing this, don't forget to call our friends at the University Extension Center. There you can call them on the phone, you can look on their website, because they have got the fantastic information that can help you figure this out. And if you can't figure it out just by looking, you go and Go right down to the officer, call our buddy Casey Matney, and they will help you with all these problems. They will help you with that. And uh, so, yeah, don't uh, if you don't have a, an experienced gardener friend or anything like that, go ahead and give them a call, and they will, in fact, give you the help you need uh, to, to overcome some of these things. So those are just a few of the tips of, uh, of watching your garden. You know, and uh, and making sure your tomatoes are doing okay, because like I said, we work awful hard for tomatoes, and it's kind of, kind of some of the same things that I uh, that I told you about uh, with the tomatoes also can apply with with peppers. I didn't grow peppers this year, you know, but some of the some of the same things uh, can be related to your peppers. So, well, folks, holy smokes, I I can't believe we're uh, coming down to the last two minutes of the show. Uh, I, I hope this was an informative show for you. Don't forget about our buddy, Joe Lample, two weeks from today. He will be a call-in guest. Uh, he confirmed a while back. I'm going to confirm with him again. If you do have any questions you want to ask Joe, uh, be sure and email him to growingagreenertina at kdll.org. And uh, I'm sure we'll try and get Joe uh, Joe to answer him and if you want to check out his said go to uh, go to youtube and like bring up growing a greener world or go to the joegardner.com website and he has got more free information free downloads of uh, of manuals on how to do something and we'll do that so well anyway thanks for listening folks i, I certainly hope you had a good time i had fun doing it and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about harvesting and then uh well, we're going to talk to Joe next week, but then the, the starting in September, we're going to start talking about preserving the harvest that we work so hard to grow. All right, folks, thanks again. This is Larry Opperman with Growing a Greener Kenai. This is listener-supported public radio for the Central Kenai Peninsula, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. Have a great rest of your August. Uh, We'll see you on the 19th with Joe. Thanks again.